Get Up Nation. I hope you're enjoying the Get Up Nation podcast on www.anchor.fm. As a podcast host on over 20 platforms, I really enjoy how easy it is to use Anchor, how Anchor makes everything I need available in one place for free, accessible on your smartphone or desktop computer. Go to www.anchor.fm now. In case you didn't know, Anchor has creation tools that allow you to record and edit each episode. If you're concerned about the distribution of your hard work, don't sweat it because Anchor takes care of that too. If you're considering becoming a podcaster, I would highly recommend Anchor as your choice to begin sharing your content with the world. Get Up Nation. My name is Ben Biddick. I am the creator and host of the Get Up Nation podcast, where I serve individuals, organizations, and societies to develop and sustain resilience and perseverance. I'm the co-author of Get Up, The Art of Perseverance, with former Major League Baseball player and CEO of Rurong Living, Adam Greenberg. The Get Up Nation podcast is brought to you in partnership with GotYour6Coffee.com, where Navy veteran Eric Hadley is committed to serving first responders, veterans, and their families through a variety of nonprofit organizations. No stranger to adversity, Eric has fused necessity of coffee with his passion for public service. You're already purchasing coffee. Why not empower your coffee with purpose? Why not purchase coffee that not only has your six, but also has the backs of those who don a uniform of service for our communities and great country? Learn more about Eric and his freshly roasted award-winning coffee at gotyoursixcoffee.com. Welcome to this episode of the Get Up Nation podcast. Recently, I had the honor and privilege of speaking with Eric Lupton. Eric is the president of Lifesaver Pool Fence Systems and Child Safety Store, Inc. Lifesaver Pool Fence Systems is the largest pool safety company in the world. The pool fences Eric's company makes are the only pool fences recognized by U.S. Consumer Products Safety Commission Pool Safety Campaign as the safety leader. He is the former vice president of the National Drowning Prevention Alliance and has been highlighted for his marketing expertise in two New York Times bestsellers. Eric is an example of resilience because he has accomplished all of his success while also facing the challenges associated with living with cerebral palsy. Thank you, LifeFlip Media, for connecting me with Eric today. For Got Your Six Coffee Company that serves Get Up Nation with bold, fresh, award-winning coffee. And for all of you who support this show with your hard-earned money every month at Anchor.com, Eric, welcome to Get Up Nation. Yeah, thank you very much. That is quite the intro. <laughs> I, I feel like my mom wrote that. <laughs> All right, Eric, let's get right into this. How satisfying is it for you to dedicate your time, energy, and attention to creating safe environments for children and their families to experience when it comes to swimming pools? You're saving lives. You're giving families the comfort and relief of knowing their children are safe. You ensure that the pool is a place where families experience joy and fun together instead of tragedy. That's got to make you feel good. Yeah, it's awesome. You know, most people don't know that drowning is the number one cause of accidental deaths for children between the ages of one and four years old. And that the solution to that is multiple layers of protection. So, you know, I really like the fact that I get to do something every day that has a real, almost quantifiable impact on a community that's, you know, there's so many children are drowning, you know, each and every year. And I'm getting to do something about it. And I get to do that as my living. It's a really cool thing. 
Yeah, that's amazing. The pool is a very special place where families congregate, relax, and celebrate. Uh, recently, I interviewed Lucas Congdon, the star of Animal Planet's Insane Pools. I love his show. He creates outdoor oases for families with some of the most creative and natural designs that a human mind can think of. It seems to go hand in hand with, with that sense of relaxation, of celebration, to know that when people call you, they can get their pool made safe for their family and friends. So that is a place that is truly an oasis where people can relax. Tell Get Up Nation what your company does for families who want to have a safe pool. Yeah, so we manufacture Lifesaver Pool Fence, which is a removable mesh pool safety fence that goes between the home and the pool. So this is different from your traditional perimeter fence that goes around your yard, you know, not like the wood or the vinyl or chain link. This is a fence specifically designed to keep children from drowning, and it acts as a barrier, you know, isolating the pool from the rest of the backyard. So you talked about, you know, your prior guests who, you know, like to make pools an oasis, and, you know, the pool fence actually helps with that. You know, some people are concerned about it, you know, detracting from the look of their yard, but the reason it makes the backyard a more enjoyable place, you know, not only does it prevent drowning, but it also makes it, you know, more stress-free because you can be in the backyard with your kids and, you know, you're not getting up every 60 seconds to, to chase after, you know, Jenny as she keeps trying to run into the pool, right? Right. You know you've got the fence there. It's going to stop any access. So it's a great resource, not just for preventing drownings that mostly happen when the child is inside the house, thought to be nowhere near the pool, but also for making pool time, you know, a little bit or a lot more enjoyable. You know, I've got a story last Christmas Eve you know, I was at a friend's house, and they happened to have one of my fences up around their pool, and there was a bunch of kids over, and they were running, you know, these little kids, you know, between two and, you know, eight years old, had their toys, their little cars and stuff, and they were running around the pool like a racetrack. And you know that if the fence hadn't been there, you know, adults would have had to jump up every, you know, two minutes to go, you know, stop one from getting too close to the pool or falling in, or, that, you know, that activity would have to be stopped entirely. But instead, because the fence was there, we all got to sit, you know, in the patio with a beverage and just watch them run around. Love so, you know, not only does it prevent drowning, but it also makes the backyard just a more enjoyable place to be. Awesome. Will you share some of your background on how you got to where you are now? What are some of the valuable lessons you learned as you grew up that have helped you achieve the success you experienced today? Sure. So, you know, I started working at Lifesaver when I was 14 years old in the summer. My parents started this company in 1987 in the garage of the house that I grew up in. And the garage was just long enough that we could fit the 15-foot-long pool fence table where they made the fence. So, you know, my mom would sew the mesh material at night, and then my dad would get up at 3 a.m. and he had a paper route. And whatever money he made from the paper route, that would be the amount that he would invest into advertising. That would be his advertising budget. So he would get up in the morning and do this paper route. My mom would throw the mesh. You know, then eventually, you know, the kids woke up. She would get us ready for school or me ready for school. My, my brother was an infant. He stayed home. And then she would run the office, and he would go out and sell the fence. If he sold one, come home, manufacture it from scratch, and then go back out and install it. So this all happened from our garage. And eventually it grew into a warehouse, a bigger warehouse. And then, like I said, I started working here in the summertime as a, as a summer job in high school, and I actually dropped out of high school when I was in my junior year, and I started working here full-time, and I took it over completely in 2003 when he retired. I was only 21 years old, 
And for some reason, he decided that, you know, it was a, a smart thing to give his, uh, his business over to a 21-year-old to run. <laughs> and, you know, which looking back, at the time it made sense because I thought I knew everything. But looking back, that's, that's an insane move. I, I don't know why he thought that was a smart move. But, you know, I, I started a web design company at that point in high school. Me and some friends of mine started a, a web design and computer repair company, you know, that we did pretty well at. And, you know, before that, I had done, you know, a couple other little businesses with some friends. So I, I've had, you know, entrepreneurship kind of built into me from, from an early age. But, yeah, so I took it over in 2003. And, you know, since then, you know, we've grown under, you know, a million dollars a year in sales. It's almost 10 times that. Wow. So it's been, it's been quite the ride. Excellent. Excellent. And as the CEO of a company, the president of your company, you have to be a problem solver. In order for CEOs to be effective problem solvers, it's important for them to have an exhaustive understanding of their craft, their product, or their service. How essential is that? It's, it's incredibly essential. And, you know, I think I actually have an advantage because I was born with cerebral palsy and because being, you know, fairly disabled, requiring an electric wheelchair, you know, I need help with tasks ranging from you know, cutting out my food, to getting in and out of bed, to using the restroom, to bathing, to dressing, you know, there's a whole list of things. You know, because of these limitations, I've had to get really good at creative problem solving over the last 37 years that I've been alive. You know, I wouldn't be able to, to make it through a day without finding creative solutions to problems that no one else has had yet, right? No one else has been in my body with my specific limitations. So, you know, the, the problems I face are unique to me and have to be solved uniquely by me. So that training, the fact that I've been lucky enough to have cerebral palsy has enabled me to be a creative problem solver, you know, when, when running Lightsaber. You know, thankfully I have this, this background and, and thankfully I was born disabled so that, you know, I'm a, I'm a better president and CEO because of it, there's no question. I love that mentality. That's truly a resilient uh, mindset that uh, to be thankful for something and to find the, the good. How, what are some experiences that you've had that have challenged you, that have made you consider giving up or giving in, and then how did you persevere through those times? You know, I mean, I, off the top of my head, you know, the biggest one was probably the big recession, right? When the economy crashed, you know, I, I, still, I remember the day clearly when, you know, those large financial institutions, the, you know, the Morgan Stanley and, and the other ones, when they, when they disappeared overnight, our phones stopped ringing. Literally, we didn't get a single lead. We didn't get a phone call. Email stopped. Like, everything just came to a halt. And, and our sales halved every year for, for three years in a row. You know, we dropped by 50% a year for, for three years. And, you know, I was, I was pretty sure that, you know, we, we were done. But, you know, we, we kept on, we, we retooled what we were doing, and, and we figured out a way to make it work. And, you know, there were some pretty uh, pretty hairy moments there, but I think, you know, right now we're, we're probably a better company for it. Let's see. How has your approach to resilience changed over time? Has it, when you have something happen that is difficult, that, that makes you alter your thought process, that focuses you on a problem that you've never encountered before, how do you deal with that, first of all, and then how has that changed over time for you? Yeah, I mean, every problem you solve, gives you, you know, more knowledge into the next problem. And it also gives you the, the confidence and the awareness that you have the tools necessary to solve those future problems, right? So, you know, you kind of build a resume for yourself that you can lean on when you're facing new issues. And you can look at it and say, well, I know I've done, you know, all these other things previously, so it would make sense that I'll be able to do this too. So, you know, all the problems that you overcome are really just, you know, training grounds for the future ones that you're going to overcome. I love that. 
And there was a recent Gallup poll that said about 70% of American workers are not engaged by their work, do not enjoy their work, are not passionate about their work. How important is it for people to find that engagement and that passion? How important is it to create that and meld it with something that you know causes good for people? Like your company, you know you're keeping children safe. You know you're helping families have a sense of security augmenting their lives with the fun that comes along because they're not worried about getting up every five minutes, make sure their child hasn't fallen in the pool. How important is it for people to be engaged and passionate with a good or service that, that improves people's lives in a very real way? You know, I've only done work that I've been engaged with, you know, from you know, web design to, you know, writing marketing copy to, to the, you know, running the the child safety companies, Lifesaver, the child safety store. You know, these were all things that I really deeply cared about and you know enjoyed. So I, I couldn't imagine doing work that you didn't care about. You know, it seems it seems like the only way. I, you know, there's there's no way I could do something for eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve hours a day and not love it. Right? I mean, what would be the point otherwise? You know, right? You know, I I want to do work where when I leave work, I'm still thinking about it at home. Right. And I'm happy about it. Right. You know, I, I couldn't imagine doing it any other way. And, you know, I I actually, I commend people who, who manage it, right? If you're doing a job that you hate doing and you're still doing it, you know, that, that's far more difficult. That's far more challenging than what I'm doing. You know, what I'm doing is easy. You know, I'm doing something I like every day. If you're managing to pull off a job that you hate, that's, that's a feat. You know, that, that's really impressive. Hmm. And I wonder if if we had that 70% of our workforce that were engaged by their work, that that were pursuing their passions, that were focusing on doing work that they love, that they thought about at night, that improved our world, that that's invested in other people's lives and in relieving suffering. What a world that would be if that 70% found themselves engaged in doing something like like what you do. You're passionate about um, creating safety for families and and what if that 70% was able to lay hold of those passionate causes that mean something uh, to them? I, I, I can't imagine the amount of satisfaction and happiness and unity and connection that would come from that as people use their skills and talents to, to achieve their highest potential. Yeah, right? I mean, it is, it is almost unimaginable to, to think what that world would look like. Right. And you know, it, it really comes to perspective, right? I mean, there's people that love to do all kinds of things, right? There's people that love doing things that I hate doing. Right. And, you know, there's also people who figure out how to love something just based on, you know, rewiring the way they perceive it or the way they think about it, you know? Right. It happens the other way around all the time. You see people who love their job and then something happens where nothing changed except their mindset and now they hate it, right? Mm. So, so, yeah, I mean, if we can find a way to either get people into jobs that they are passionate about or this might be more likely to get people to, you know, find appreciation or change their perspective so they, they can love the jobs they have because there's always going to be jobs that aren't seen by, by a lot of people as, you know, desirable or glamorous right. or, you know, the kind of things you, you naturally be passionate about. But, you know, if we can find a way to you know, let people know how important that is and for them to, you know, change their perspective to, to have, you know, a love for what they're doing, even if it is, you know, just delivering pizza or whatever it might be, right? Right. You know, then I think, you know, yeah, I think you're right. I think you could change the world with that. 
Absolutely. Uh, and you even just bring up that topic. I just think of like 10 things right away of, of how you could be, have somebody, you know, I love that, that change in perspective. So, you know, you have your young person who is hired at a local pizza company and if they focus on becoming the best uh, pizza delivery person they can, um, how many creative ways could they make that transaction into something special, unique or different? How, how many different ways could they, they make that into more than just a delivering a piece of food to somebody that can make it an experience and and i'm going to put out there right now if there's pizza delivery people who do creative things for their customers and clients and make that a, a customer experience that's satisfying and enjoyable and hilarious or whatever it is uh, hit me up on social on get up nation social and let's let's talk about ways we can take uh, jobs that are uh, that often viewed as mundane or uh, boring or unimportant and let's make them important by changing our perspective about them let's do that i just want to throw that out there now i want to ask you eric you stated in a prior interview that ceos need to be fearless when it comes to affecting change within their companies you encourage ceos to embrace their ability to affect significant change in the businesses they lead this speed of communication, technological changes, and systemic improvements alter our reality daily. Why is it important for CEOs to have a fearless resilience that evaluates their business analytics, the market, and makes those necessary changes in a timely fashion? Because they're the only ones that can. Hmm. Hmm. Right? I mean, that, that's the biggest thing. You know, only the CEO has the authority from his position, the, the overall outlook of what's going on, and, you know, the ability to affect radical change. Hmm. So if, if you're the only one that can do it, by sheer responsibility, you need to be the one that does. So if a company is having serious problems, or even if they're not, you know, it's up to the CEO to be the person that you know, changes things that need to be changed, even if they seem you know, overwhelming and daunting. Hmm. So, I mean, yeah, the simple answer is, you know, they need to do it because they're the only one that can't. Awesome. That is that is so true. That is absolutely true. And I th I think of what that communicates then as far as organizational cultures to your employees. If if your CEO is fearless and willing to make changes, that just inspires the people underneath them to really understand what's possible, to understand the character of their CEO, to understand the leadership and the values of the organization, to make it to make it work, to be successful, to put in the work, to make the decisions, to make the changes, to be resilient like that. That's got to be inspiring for employees, even if it causes change and maybe maybe changes the way employees have to do their job, that still has to be inspiring for everybody in the company to know that the, the CEO is willing to be resilient and willing to affect change. Yeah, I mean, people want to work in a place where they feel like that the company is moving forward, where they feel like the, the work the company is doing is positive and affecting positive change in the community. And also, you know, like you said, where good changes are happening, where there's where they can see that you know the future is going to be better than the past because you know they're in a place that's willing to adapt, and you know I think that that's hugely important. Awesome. I want to ask you. So, for entrepreneurs who have disabilities or health challenges, what advice do you have for them? You know, I think entrepreneurship is the perfect career choice for anybody with a, a severe physical or mental disability. You know, only in entrepreneurship do you get to really have full autonomy in crafting what your day looks like from, from soup to nuts, right? If you're, you know, a CEO of a, of a company that you created, you know, you get to choose what role you have. You get to choose where your workplace is. You get to choose what your office looks like, if it's an office at all. You know, you have, you know, full control 
to design your life in the way that works best for you. And that's important for anybody. Obviously, anybody can benefit from you know, having the ability to, to design their life in the way that works best for them. But especially someone with a disability who might require you know, very specific things that they're not going to find accidentally out in the workplace, it becomes even more critical and even more important. So I really think that there should be more programs geared toward enabling people with disabilities towards entrepreneurship. I think that's a path that's not being explored enough and really should be. Amazing. Now, when you became CEO of Lifesaver Pool Fence Systems, how did you rearrange the business architecture to make it something that you could lead successful? How did you make the company unique to you? You know, one thing that I've done, and we were already headed in this direction, I just amplified it, is you know, we started off as a family business, right? I worked here with my parents, you know, eventually just my dad, and then when he retired, you know, I took it over entirely. I, I brought in my two brothers to help me run it. And then from there, I made sure that, you know, everybody that I work with is as close to family without being related as possible. You know, you know, my, my childhood best friends work, work with me, you know, friends that I've been close to for, for decades. You know, everybody that works close to me is someone that I, I knew outside of work first and I was close to and then decided to bring in. And, and I do that because, you know, why do I want to work with people that I don't like? You know, I'd much rather spend my days with, you know, with your best friends. Right. And I was talking to somebody yesterday and, you know, they, they say how you shouldn't mix, you know, business and family or you shouldn't mix friends and family. And, you know, I, I think the other way around, I, you know, I only want to work with people that I'm friends with and family with. And I think it's entirely possible as long as you treat them right, right? It's, it's not a problem to work with people you're friends with as long as you don't treat them poorly. You know, if you're not a dick, you can get along with your friends and family in the workplace. Absolutely. So, so yeah, that's one thing I, I've done. And then, you know, I've just changed the culture to fit my personality. And I've, I've changed what we do to, to match my strength. You know, you know, my dad was a lot better at the logistical side. You know, he was, you know, an engineer in a former life and, you know, he had the, the manufacturing and, um, you know, that kind of background. And I'm more of a marketer. So, you know, we, we do a lot more marketing now. And, you know, I, I outsource a lot more of the engineering and the product design and, and that side of things as much as I can because that's, you know, that's not my strength. Hmm. What is the most fun part of your day? I'll be not talking to you right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I really enjoy, you know, interacting with and spending time with, with the people here. You know, I'm, I'm a social person by nature. So you know, getting the opportunity to, to spend, you know, so many hours of my day with, with people that I really enjoy talking to and, and hanging out with and working with is the most fun part of my day. And that, and that shows that in the people that I've talked with who have mentioned you and during my research, people just speak so highly of you and your humor. So it's been an absolute honor to talk with you today and when we talked recently. And so if it's all right with you, we'll, we'll move into the final section of the show. I always end the show with six questions to help my listeners understand the why within my phenomenal guests. Will you run through these six quick questions with me? Yes, absolutely. All right. Who are you thankful for today? I'm thankful for my dad. You know, I learned a lot of what I know, you know, from him, you know, he passed away in 2017 and, you know, obviously, you know, me and my brothers miss him quite a bit, but, um, you know, he, you know, he's an inspiration and, and everybody who, uh, who knew him, you know, really, really got a lot out of that experience. So, uh, I'm thankful for that. And now that we've covered who you're thankful for today, what are you thankful for today? So 
have the opportunity to do what I like doing in the way that I like doing it, you know, every single day. You know, it's, um, it's nice that I wake up in the morning and go to a place where I can um, do, do what I want to do uh, the way I want to do it and feel good about it. And, and I really appreciate that. And to save lives in addition to all that is a profound reality and just respect to you and how satisfying is that? I, Sorry, I just diverted there. I just thinking that it's just powerful, the life you're living, and, and it's great to see it, and it's inspiring to so many who need to, need to be aware that that's possible. As I speak with people who have frustrations at their work and things like that, I can't wait to share with them your insights here. How do you fuel the fire within you? You know, like you said, you know, it's, it's not that hard when, you know, the, the work you're doing is saving lives. You know, it's easy to get bogged down in, you know, financial statements and balance sheets and payroll taxes and cash flow and inventory and, you know, employees that, you know, don't show up and, you know, all of the day-to-day kind of stuff involved in running a business that can, can chip away at you. But when you know that the, the larger thing that you're doing is so important, when you talk to families who have lost a child drowning and they tell you that if they'd had a pool fence like the one we sell, that their child would probably be alive right now. Or you talk to a family who did get a pool fence and they tell you a story about how they, they woke up in the morning and their two-year-old was outside leaning on the fence and they're not sure how long she was out there for. And they really think that if the pool fence hadn't been up, that their their baby might have fallen in the pool and drowned. You know, when you, when you hear these stories, you know, it really gets you back to what's important about what you're doing. And the day-to-day stuff that's necessary about running the company you know, becomes a lot less important. And I think that really helps, as you put it, you know, fuel the fire. What is one thing adversity taught you to value? Well, the two things. One is, you know, how fast things can change and, you know, to be grateful for your situation when it's good because, you know, you can go to a a doctor and and get a diagnosis and all of a sudden, you know, the universe is different than it was three minutes ago, right? So so that's huge. And and also to value time with people you have around you. You know, like I said, I lost my, my dad in 2017 and my mom in 2011. And you know, that's time I'm never gonna get back with them. So it's, it's important, you know, to, to value the people you have and, and that's why I really like that I work with the people that I, I care and love about, you know, for the most part every single day. So there's that. And also kind of what we talked about before, that if you look at things with the right perspective, right? If you understand that the problems that you're going through are making you better at solving those problems. You know, I, I know that I know that having cerebral palsy has made me a better, more effective problem solver. I know that it's made me more patient. I know that it's made me more resilient. I know that having this ability has made me a better person in all of these other ways. So, you know, if I know that, then I can be more at peace with it. So I think that that's important as well. Amazing. What are you doing today you may have never thought you could? I mean, lightsaber's grown you know, far beyond, you know, what I have expected in a time span that I didn't expect. You know, we now we're growing 50% a year, you know, every year for the last three years. And, you know, I never thought that I would be one running a company this size, but two, that I would be using my running of that company as a platform to spread education like I do. You know, we, we focused a lot more in the last couple of years of, of me doing 
you know, podcasts like yours, but also our own. I'm doing a lot of educational stuff with, with video. But, you know, these are things that I, I really didn't have in the, in the cards for me. And, you know, it's been, it's been a really great experience. Amazing. And then what will you do tomorrow that you may have never thought you could? You know, I think the next level is, you know, bringing cool safety to a, an audience that isn't aware of it yet, you know? So, you know, we want to we solve this thing. And if every home has multiple layers of protection, and, you know, I define those as parent supervision, you know, high lock on all the doors, windows lead to the pool, alarms on all the doors, windows lead to the pool, a removal mesh pool safety fence, like a lightsaber pool fence, the you know, alarms in the pool that activate, you know, the water's detected, swim lessons for the child, between the child that swim is over 12 months old, and then CPR if all those fail. You know, if we can get the world to know that, just like they know, you know, stop, drop, and roll, or, you know, look both ways before crossing the street, even though those things don't kill nearly as many children as drowning does, then I think we can affect a real, a real substantial change in, in children and, you know, the number of lives that are devastated each year by this. So, so that's what we're looking to do, you know, in the future. Amazing. Eric, how can people learn more about you and your amazing work? The best thing they can do is go to www.poolfence.com. That's our website. Also, if they want to follow us on Facebook, we are prolific in the amount of water safety and child safety information that we put out on our Facebook. We have Instagram and Twitter as well. But if you look for Lifesaver Pool Fence Systems on all the platforms, you know, there's great stuff there. For more just general child safety and parenting stuff, our child safety store Facebook and Instagram is great as well. Get Up Nation. What gift are you giving the world to make this a better place?